Hi everyone, it's Floyd again at Engineers. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I'm really pleased to say today we're, we're joined by Sahil Hanouane, CTO of 22. For those of you who don't know, 22 are a Parisian startup in computer vision software using AI and computer vision techniques to automate vision and offer real-time detection and tracking for customers across industries such as retail, logistics, catering, and, and even smart cities. Today, we're going to be talking about a range of topics, including the power and diversity of computer vision technologies, major funding spearheading 22's growth in R&D, and the use of synthetic data in computer vision applications. So firstly, Sahel, thank you very much for joining us today. It's a real privilege to welcome you to the podcast and to share with our community more about you, 22, and the exciting journey that you're all on. So let's kick things off with an introduction to you. Give us a brief overview of you, your background, what you're doing today for 22, and, and in particular, your remit as well. Absolutely. So welcome, everybody. And thank you so much, Floyd, for the invitation and for the opportunity. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, so to give you a little bit of, about my background, so I am Suhail Hanoun. I am the Chief Technical Officer and the Chief Scientist Officer of 22 Group. So 22 is, as you said, uh, Floyd is a Parisian startup. Um, we've been uh, in the market since 2015. Um, and from my background, um, um, I've been in AI for quite some time, for nearly 15 years. So before it was cool, uh, but it was for me. Uh, yeah, and uh, actually I'm a PhD in AI, um, robotics and com uh, cognitive sciences. Uh, I've been working actually during my PhD on uh, how we can create AI, so kind of a brain for robotic platforms and robotic arms uh, using what we know about the brain. Um, and we have been doing this with neuroscientists actually to verify what we know about the brain and how we can create AI that are frugal, that don't need that much data for the learning and so on. Uh, so this is basically the focus of our developmental uh, team, actually, during my PhD. Before that, um, I have done quite a few uh, master's degrees. Um, I have a master in engineering informatics. I have another master in cognitive si uh, computer science and cognitive sciences, and another one in AI and robotics. Uh, so I have been uh, dangling in, in, in the market, actually. In You're a clever science. man. Or yeah. <laughs> actually, I'm a I'm a greedy man. Actually, I, yeah. I don't let it go. Uh, and yeah, actually, it was it was cool. Um, and I've been also working. I continued working after my PhD in our lab as a teacher at university and a researcher uh, for a couple of years uh, before joining Twenty Two. Sure, thank you. Appreciate that. And talk to me about today as a CTO and chief scientist what that means for you in your remit within 22 and the kind of teams that you're overseeing as well. Yeah. So at 22, I'm the global CTO, uh, which means that I manage all the roadmaps around the product, starting from the R&D uh, all the way up to actually the, uh, the production of the product and uh, giving the product to the market. After that, I have uh, a CTO dedicated to deployment and management of uh, the partners that manages actually everything what happens on the field. So all the interaction with the, uh, the hardware uh, partners, with the, the deployment partners, 
and also the management of the uh, client satisfaction. And yeah, 22, uh, today we're around 80 people, half of nice. which uh, is technical and product team. So about 50, uh, 40 people uh, that, that I manage. Um, and uh, we have multiple teams. We have an R&D team. We have uh, a platform specific team. So everything regarding a uh, UI, uh, UX, uh, all the interfaces, all the uh, software architectures, all the orchestrations, the hardware optimizations, the deployment methodology, because uh, we will look into this, but we're a lot based on cloud-based solutions uh, and technologies. And we have another team dedicated to uh, the, the, the development of AI-based use cases. So when we want to create a use case that is specific to, let's say, supply chain for the detection of uh, dangerous situations, this team will look into it. On the other hand, the R&D team will work on the, uh, the data processes and the production of the global AI models and the global AI uh, platforms that we can use in middleware and give them to this team actually to create the, the AI use case. Okay. Understood. Appreciate that. That's great insight. And and now for listeners who don't know, share a bit more around the story of 22. I mean, yeah. and I say how it started, the journey you've been on, because I think still very much a startup, but maybe an old startup, right? So founded in 2015. And I feel like the last few years have really taken off for, for you guys, right? So share hmm. share that journey where you are today. Yeah, as, as you said, actually, we're not really a startup. We're more of a scale up uh, at, that, at that point. The story of 22 is fascinating. Uh, the name actually comes from uh, the, the name of uh, a, actually uh, a techno uh, band and a label that the, uh, the creators actually had when they were 15. They created actually wow. this brand at the time. Um, and they were um, creating some music actually and they had uh, quite a bit of success at the time. Uh, so they had the brand and, and, and so on. Uh, and then they, they switched actually careers. Uh, every, they, it was William, William Eldin and Damien uh, Mulem actually that created 22 and the 22 band. Um, and they got in, some music videos floating around on YouTube. Actually, they had one <laughs> that is well known in France. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah, during the early uh, 2000s. That was quite huge. Uh, it was quite a funny one. So maybe we'll share fun. that. We'll share that in the comments as well. Oh, for, for sure, to, for sure. To see. <laughs> uh, that's shocking, actually, when, when I heard it. And twenty-two actually was their uh, their lucky number. That's the idea behind it. Actually, they they were projecting the twenty-second century when they were young, but they were living at the twenty-seconds of the street. They always meet at ten p.m., which is twenty-two hour in France. Uh, and, and actually, it was a recurring number in their lives. So this is how it started. And, um, and then actually, uh, William had quite a bit of success with, uh, with, um, with a few enterprises. Actually, he was one of the, the founders of Coyote, uh, which is a, a radar detector actually in France. Okay. Uh, Damien was working at Apple. Um, and in uh, 2014, actually, during the uh, William's wedding, Damien actually came to him and told him, what would, you what would you think if we recreated our brand and work really on 
new technologies as we imagined when we were kids. Um, and this is the idea. And in 2015, actually, 22 started around virtual reality and augmented reality technology. And when I joined in, uh, in 2016, actually, I was the first person working on AI and cognitive sciences. The idea was to create an R&D lab and then a business unit, which we did. Um, and then actually we, we created actually those two business units for quite a few years. Uh, we were kind of the, uh, the proof of concept and MVP factory in France regarding okay. computer vision based solutions, both in, uh, human vision. So, uh, virtual reality and artificial vision. So AI and computer vision. Um, so we had quite a bit of, uh, of success actually with, a lot of um, uh, of clients. This is why we address so many sectors, uh, because in the four or five years where we conducted proof of concepts and MVPs, uh, we address retail applications, smart city application, industrial and supply chain applications. Uh, we had also quite a bit in uh, on on the food aspects and the security aspects. So we we developed quite an IP but not uh, stable enough for a product. But we were actually exploring the market uh, in order to identify what is the best aspects of the market for the go-to-market, uh, what are the opportunities, what are the markets that are quick to buy AI, because in 2016 and 2017, um, AI was really new in the market. So clients were not that savvy, not really uh, uh, including AI in their strategy. So we. We had quite uh, quite of of work actually guiding the clients in this understanding, um, and then afterward in 2019 about we had a couple of years of experience and we started to think about what product will 22 propose to the market. Um, at the time, actually, we there were a few uh, startups, quite a few startups actually working on computer vision and AI. But we were like a couple working on real hardcore real time analysis on like okay. uh, camera networks and, and things like that. Um, coming from a robotic background with a team that I, uh, I hired mainly composed of engineering researchers, really guys that have been working on real time application, frugal uh, algorithms, and, and so on. We had quite a, an IP around real-time analysis and also AI based for real-time. So everything regarding tracking, re-identification algorithms, both uh, using facial recognition and non-biometric approaches. So we had quite a bit of IP, but we needed to test it, broad it, and stabilize it on a specific uh, product. And this is when the idea of 22 Core uh, came to light, actually. Uh, we thought about it, thinking of what will the next step of computer vision will be on the market. And the idea was we need to address networks of cameras that are already in place, mm -hmm. uh, high level of cameras already installed, and the high level of algorithms on each camera. So very massive deployments. So, of course, a platform that needs to be very easy to update quite volatile, so it can switch configuration quite easily, and also with quite a bit of optimization regarding the hardware usage. 
Right. And this is how we created 22 Core, which is a platform based on uh, cloud technologies, the Kubernetes. So we, we created an orchestrator that optimizes on all the algorithms and all the hardware that is used uh, in order to, to be very efficient and, uh, and, and get quite a boost. Um, uh, and uh, we have uh, also uh, a patent that is pending. Okay. It, should be, it should be released actually in, in a few months, like Fingers three, four crossed. months. Yeah, uh, it's been already 18 months. So, <laughs> wow, okay, long yeah, process, right? <laughs> yeah, um, uh, dedicated actually to how the orchestration, the optimization work in the platform. Okay. Um, and yeah, so we released the, uh, the V1, the first version of 22 Core. So 22 Smart City, as the name says, for Smart City applications uh, in uh, just after COVID. Uh, okay, good timing. Actually, yeah, but... Uh, but there wasn't much to track. <laughs> actually, it's because of COVID, because at the time, the only uh, sector parts that were still working are the cities. Everybody, everybody else actually was off. Uh, so we specialized Smart City, and then now... We have solutions for smart city, smart uh, infrastructures like stadiums, train stations, bus stations, airports, so everything we got in safety, security, um, applications. But also we have another other aspects for industry and supply chain. So for both um, process evaluation and quality assessment uh, in industry. And we have also declined the uh, 22 core platform uh, for food applications, uh, mainly fast food applications for both the management of the drive and also the um, as a manager augmentation too. So okay. uh, use cases where the, the retail is scanned and we set up and, uh, and, and give information to the manager to optimize how the deployment of the team is used, what are the resources, what are the tasks that needs to be prioritized in the fast food, uh, and so on. Okay, great. And I think, that, and let's, let's give a bit more context as well on the, the industries 22 is serving, because I think um, you're finding your expertise to be most in demand and, and most powerful. And, and I think it would be great to to share in unison some context on specific use cases or applications that these individual sectors benefit from. Sure. And I think you have, you briefly touched on those, but I think it would be good to share kind of where do you see in terms of 22 core, um, uh, where do you see the biggest value and actually the biggest breakthroughs happening kind yeah. of sector wise? Well, uh, for smart city and smart infrastructure applications, um, one of the main use cases is everything regarding the management of people, which means queue management, counting, traffic management, both for vehicles and uh, people. Uh, so really how you can manage your space and how you, you can make it safe for people and for uh, goods. Uh, so okay. this is used broadly for cities, infrastructures, retail, uh, stadiums, uh, touristic, um, applications, uh, touristic zones. Um, so this one is really volatile uh, and very efficient because it uses the cameras that are already uh, in place. Um, and this, this is the most used use cases. 
Okay. Other than that, we have everything regarding uh, parcel parcel tracking and parcel uh, analysis. So uh, penetration of zones, securing zones, uh, both from uh, people and also from uh, vehicles and different kind of vehicles. Uh, you have many use cases where there's some zones actually that are accessible to vehicles, but not motorcycles or bicycles or things like that. That can be a safety issue uh, in uh, in an industry or in uh, in a city. Uh, so all of those applications can be uh, addressed with our platform, and we have also many other use cases regarding the safety and security, like uh, PPE, so protection equipment uh, detection and evaluations, where we can find if somebody is not equipped correctly. Uh, this is a safety issue. It's also an insurance issue. Uh, we have also use cases regarding the detection of uh, fire, uh, so which can be a real hazard where we can work on that. Uh, and we have other applications that are more uh, energy uh, oriented, like uh, we, we work on the management of the lights in cities, uh, where okay. we can find and detect vehicles, people to optimize the, uh, the usage actually of energy in city. We can uh, we can have up to fifty percent of uh, optimization actually in the energy wow. uh, cost uh, in cities, yeah, in France because it's sure. really not uh, that efficient. Um, we have other uh, applications that, uh, like I said, actually in uh, fast food and, and catering, uh, like the digital digital twin for the the manager. So really um, attending tables, attending uh, the the deliverable. So uh, is every item needed in the delivery actually in the delivery uh, clients actually tend to be really disappointed when something is missing um, sure. and it, it happens a lot of time it happens something like uh, 10% of the time so it's really wow. uh, yes it's really something that we need to to address and we propose actually uh, algorithms that are, uh, that are oriented in for those use cases and other than that for smart city Applications, we have uh, traffic analysis and management. So we, we tend to connect also with, with the lights, with traffic light lights uh, to automatically get them a bit more smart than what they are today. Uh, it's quite, quite frustrating when you're alone at the traffic light, there's nobody else and uh, you can't go. Um, but also we have a few use cases about the optimization of costs for cities like mm -hmm. the prevention of illegal dumpings. Uh, this is something that happens quite a bit, uh, as you might, might have seen in the news in Paris, for example, but also in other cities in France. Um, so this is something that, that we offer where uh, cities can have an overview that the different zones where illegal dumping happened, but also alerts, real-time alerts about when it happens. And uh, okay. be because of the platform, we can have both statistical analysis and real-time alerting. Okay. So the, uh, depending on what team needs the product, what is the goal afterwards, we can have either dashboard with statistical analysis for decision-making and more like direction, uh, directory uh, boards or things like that. Uh, but we have also... Um, real-time alerts that can uh, put directly in the systems that exist in cities, what we call 
video managing systems, VMS, um, where the alerts go directly connected to those software and the operators can interact and act in, in the minute uh, to uh, correct or uh, avoid actually some, uh, some dangerous situations also. Understood. No, I appreciate that. And I think this is where 22 and, and even computer vision, broadly speaking, fascinates me because I think the versatility of what it can do um, when it's used in the right way, um, I think is, is endless. And I'm sure if we sat to discuss all the applications and, and things that computer vision would do, we'll be here until next week. So yeah. we won't go through all of them, but it's good to know kind of where you're seeing big demand. And, and obviously, that's that will be largely driven by your customer base as it grows and, and what their Absolutely. individual demand is, right? Um, something that I'm really that I'm intrigued about is, of course, the systems and um, the solutions that you're building are essentially plugged into existing, like you said, existing video systems, camera systems of your clients. Exactly. Um, and with that in mind, uh, you're, in terms of a business model, you're focused on floating license sales, right? Yeah. So talk to me about what that means um, and, and how that benefits your customers and the flexibility it can give your customers compared to maybe standardized software licensing? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, as it was actually one of the, one of the biggest uh, selling points actually for our business team at the beginning. Um, floating licenses is basically the idea that when a client have one license, it's not camera dependent. So it's ba he basically can switch which camera is using AI um, because when a client has, let's say, a network of 100 cameras, each and every camera was put for one or two use cases at the time when they, uh, when they imagined the, uh, the, the coverage. Uh, but the use cases or the need is usually quite periodic. So it's needed like uh, at, at night or during the day or during uh, hot hours or things like that. And the idea is, okay, a client that has a thousand camera, we don't necessarily need to sell him 1000 licenses. The idea is for them to get like a hundred of them and they can switch cameras depending on their needs. And uh, we added to this uh, a kind of uh, a programming calendar. So the client and the user can beforehand configure everything and set up everything they need um, in the calendar. So which detection goes on which camera, between which times and the, on the calendar aspect also. Uh, that idea allows the client to optimize on what are the use cases that they might need on specific cameras. And it also correlates with the kind of licenses that we have because uh, Clients have the opportunity to either buy um, licenses that basically allow them to use any algorithm they want on specific camera and stack absolutely any number they want on one camera. So basically a client consumes one license for a camera and they can have like 10 analysis in parallel. That's a possibility. That's the first kind wow. of license, the, the, the most costly, of course. But there's other um, other licenses possible for four detections in parallel or for okay. only one bicam. So depending on the client, some need one specific analysis by camera and they won't go further. 
some might need two or three, and others might have actually a lot of detections on each and every camera. And in that way, the last uh, kind of license is more interesting. And that floating licenses allow them actually to optimize on their network. Right, understood. And and when it comes to, when I think about how quickly AI is advancing these days and the new things, it's almost like every day when I wake up, there's a new blog post or a new a news article about something new that's come up in, in the world of AI. When we think about your R&D and naturally as your product or your capabilities expand, um, is that is that a case with with customers that have existing licenses? Is it as simple as, okay, we're going to do a new version where it's updated, its capabilities are updated, or is there a bit more of a detailed process to go through to then re-roll out those systems to your customers? Yeah, no, actually, when we provide a new class or a new use case, it's already included in the license. Uh, so every nice. paying client regarding the licenses actually will be updated. We have a cycle of two releases per year with two release candidates uh, in between that are dedicated for beta testing and for specific clients, which are more like partners than clients uh, okay. with whom we, want, we would like to test like a function or something. Uh, so it gives us the opportunity to test a few things and the point of on a couple of clients. But for the two releases, um, it's broadly distributed and every still paying client will have the update. The, uh, the updates are done uh, via our integrators and the client's integrators, actually, that we certify and uh, they have the full capacity to update, reinstall, and also back and import all the configurations of the uh, of the clients, the previous detections and the configurations. So they have all the tools needed for the the updates. Um, and uh, the uh, the updates are systematically uh, included for a specific sector. So a client that buys uh, twenty two core for smart cities will have all the updates for the smart city, of course. So there's a bit of segmentation, let's say, uh, for some clients that might be interested in two kind of declinations of the 22 core. And for those, actually, they will have the, uh, the both updates. Sure. Uh, okay, understood. And I guess that's the beauty of the setup that you have and what you've worked towards in terms of a cloud-based, almost plug-in yeah. solution for your customers where um, it seems from a product perspective, from a capability perspective, right through to even how your customer is buying your product, there's complete flexibility and transparency throughout, which I think is, is quite unique, especially when you see many, many customers that maybe um, offer similar solutions um, will quite often have to juggle with the hardware as well, which is quite a complicated thing, especially when it comes to upgrading them, right? It becomes right. Even more costly, <laughs> as you'll know. Um, now, I wanted to touch a bit more on your Genepix tool, which, which right. is your data synthesis tool, right? So it's a really interesting subject around data synthesis because I understand that 22 is moving to rely hugely on synthetic data. Absolutely. Um, so talk to us about that shift and what, right. what exactly that allows you to do. And maybe for our audience that doesn't understand, maybe a quick intro introduction as to what's the difference between real data versus synthetic. Right. So yeah, Genepix is basically uh, generative pixels, uh, which is an in-house tool developed by 22 for quite a bit of times. 
I think it started in 2019. Um, and synthetic data is basically um, the data that is created artificially using 3D assets, 2D assets, and uh, images that we might have acquired either virtually or from real life. So the basic okay. idea is AI algorithms and models need data to be uh, to be learned, actually, and at least for um, supervised learning-based algorithms, which is basically like 80% what we do today and 100% uh, of the, uh, the quick advances that the clients uh, might need quickly uh, for quick, quick wins. Um, and for that, actually, we were working on our products and projects. And uh, of course, the data is the pain point. It's a pain point for uh, regarding the timing you, because we need to collect it, which is not our focus. Uh, we need to clear it, to, uh, to de-rush it. We need to annotate, so label it, uh, which we don't do. Actually, we, we have a partner that helps us for this. Um, and then after that, we need to evaluate the quality of the data, do the, the, the learning, and then assess if the models are good enough, if we need additional data and so on. So the cycle was and still is today really long and really problematic because it's super costly. It takes a lot of time. It takes three months and a okay. few tens of uh, thousands of euros to, to run actually a new use case, which is okay. quite costly when you have so many use cases as we do. And especially when you want to scale uh, on the number of use cases, the number of uh, classes that you want to interact with, and also the, the number of contexts on which we want to evaluate our product. Because for multiple sectors, we need to evaluate on multiple contexts. It's not necessarily one context uh, fits everybody. It doesn't work like that. Or at least it's too costly to work like that for at the moment. It's better to uh, to focus actually on smart city applications, retail and uh, catering, catering applications, industry and supply applications. The contexts are, are more uh, stable actually and more uh, statistically uh, coherent that way. And for that, actually, we were uh, thinking about how we can generate or <clears throat> at least augment the data that we have with the tool, so with computing power, and uh, with um, assets that we can either create, uh, 22 actually comes from a 3D uh, company. We, we have done virtual reality and augmented reality in the past, though today we are only AI-based uh, software uh, company, but we have this expertise, uh, or we can only buy them, not necessarily create them. Uh, so the idea is, was to create a tool that allow us to take our data sets that are already labeled and be able to augment them. So add either new objects or completely new classes. So completely new objects that we didn't have beforehand. Um, and uh, all of this actually is really important because AI needs or a machine learning application needs to take up from the data collection. There's a lot of risks associated other than the money aspect and the time aspect. There's uh, private data, uh, so sensitive data aspects that need to be uh, assessed and addressed. 
when you collect data, especially for smart city and smart infrastructure use cases like we do, we have data that it is quite sensitive. So we work a lot on the uh, GDPR uh, aspects actually to be quite safe and uh, be sure about our processes uh, to limit the risks. And for that, actually, synthetic data is perfect because it gives us actually uh, the, the, uh, the ability to create a new data that is richer, that can be addressed to limit the biases that we introduce both in the data and in the models. And also, it allows us actually to create new use cases for, uh, for new classes or new use cases that we didn't have uh, beforehand completely synthetically. So really with data that has been created from scratch uh, with either 2D augmented data sets that we have or with 3D views, so like in a video game, and we place cameras and we make the situations actually run virtually and simulated and we collect the data sets. And the data sets allow us both for the learning and for the evalu evaluation because both are needed and both are lacking. Um, sure. So this is really a velocity aspect. And yeah, 22 is trying to go full house actually on synthetic data. Uh, we have quite a bit of R&D that is working on it. Um, and we have been for quite a few years already. Sure. And I think it's a really interesting topic because I think, like you say, on one hand, you need the data in order to for your system to learn like a human would. Um, but it's also not easy to, to do that from a real world perspective because you'd right. end up rolling out products that don't serve the, the customer's need, right? Because it hasn't quite learned enough. So I think certainly it seems certainly around the, the kind of virtual um, setting, the um, this kind of simulations and so on in terms of how to train data, I feel is becoming a bit more common, but certainly not adopted by everyone, right? right. Um, and I think you've touched on some of the pros, which are quite obvious in terms of the data sets and the learning that your systems can glean from the use of synthetic data. But give us some kind of some other pros and cons to as to, to kind of the use of synthetic data compared to sure. real world. Yeah, so the pros are quite obvious. So it's the time. So you have quite more velocity. You have versatility. So you can create as many use cases uh, as you want or you can imagine. Um, so this is a huge aspect and also data protection aspects. You don't have uh, to, to, to take into consideration anything regarding uh, private data because you don't have it. You generated everything from scratch. So all of this is super cool. The problem with the synthetic data is mainly uh, regarding the consumption hardware because you need actually a lot of computing power to generate everything. But the main focus actually is uh, how difficult it is. The problem with synthetic data is usually when we use only synthetic data to create an AI, it will be an AI, an AI, an AI super efficient for synthetic words. Okay. It doesn't work on, in the real world. <laughs> this is the problem, actually. The synthetic data, usually, um, we lack our understanding on all the details that we need to add in order for the data to be real-world representative. So we yep. create data that is more sterile, more, uh, more clean. Um, so really not what you can have from 
camera networks, for example, with everything that lacks in quality and uh, dynamic in the cameras and so on. Um, so in that way, we create biases in the, uh, the data and so in the models that are inherent because we use a lot of uh, synthetic data. And the, most of the expertise that we are developing, other than the software that allow us to create the, the synthetic data, is the process that needs to be uh, followed in order for the data to be relevant and can be used actually efficiently. Uh, so all of this actually is quite of knowledge to acquire inside an organization. Today, actually, sure. there's there are, there's quite a re of research in synthetic data, but there's no consensus. So if you switch use cases or you switch models, the the, the principles don't work uh, and don't switch. So, um, for example, in um, in um, in self-driving cars. There's a lot of expertise that have been done uh, by Tesla and other self-driving car companies working on AI, uh, where they did what we are doing now a few years back for synthetic data for driving cars. Because you can't run cars off cliffs to test your product. It doesn't work like that. You need to simulate it. But you need That's to simulate expensive, it. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And very dangerous. And, uh, and you also can't figure out if the car's going to run someone over in real life to test it, can you? So, again, yeah, it's, so uh... yeah, it doesn't work like that. You can't test like that. Um, and, uh, and for that, actually, they worked, they, they did super cool work, actually, for uh, self driving cars AIs. Um, and what we are trying to do is to take basically and redo the work they did for cars that the for cameras that are in cars and do everything for all the other cameras of the world and okay. see what are the processes that we need to follow in order to generate data that can be used, what are the principles, the invariants, and what are the shortcuts. Because um, you, can, you can start by um, having an idea about uh, we will do most of the work. So we will take images that are really like the real world and recreate them in 3D and add the noises and add everything. Yeah, okay, it takes a lot of time, a lot of uh, a lot of effort. So, what is the advantage to doing data, augmented data when you are spending as much time as just collecting and labeling? Doesn't work like that. So, sure. you need also to identify the um, the, the shortcuts. Uh, so it goes through. Maybe we don't need background that are realistic. Maybe background that are rich in specific visual signature can be a shortcut. Maybe we don't need all the data or a lot of data. Maybe we need to generate only the data that is lacking in our models. So we need to identify what, which is the data that is lacking in our model. So there's a lot of strategies and a lot of analysis regarding the, the learning process for the AI models to be introduced actually in the data generation uh, process. Sure, understood. And that's, it's really insightful and interesting because I think the use of synthetic data to the real world, like you say, I think the pros, like like we said before, are quite obvious. And I yeah. think um, I have no doubt that more and more businesses will shift to, to the use of synthetic data almost exclusively like you're on a mission to do. Do you think that when it comes to maybe why it's not hugely widespread yet, 
do you think that part of that problem is as we described when you're using synthetic data and simulating you naturally will make it more clean there's less variables there's less potential um i guess i guess i would compare it with if you read a textbook about driving a car and the road the laws of the road it was very different to when you get in the car for the first time right exactly. and you see things that you never thought you'd see and and so um do you think that, that that kind of obstacle of translating that clean data into the real world is, is the main reason why it's not widespread, or, or do you think there's other factors as well? That's the main reason for me, but there are other factors that are a little bit less important, but are super important. Mainly the, to create process for synthetic data, it's not the same expertise as to create AI models. So you need okay. expertise that you don't necessarily have in an AI uh, company at the beginning. Uh, you need 3D, you need uh, real-time analysis. So this is why NVIDIA is doing this. This is why other big uh, GAFAM companies are doing this because they have and they know that it is super important uh, for their uh, clients and, and users, but also that their client and the, their users most definitely would lack some kind of expertise. So they provide this as a tool, as a possible product, but they created the shortcut and the, the usability in the market. Uh, but yeah, actually creating data that is like more clean is the main focus uh, to address in order to enrich how we can use and automatically use synthetic data. Um, it's the main focus and has been for quite some time, still is today. Sure, and I know I know you mentioned before that um, twenty two is is on a mission to to move to kind of fully synthetic data model, right? Right. And do you think you're far away from that? I think you've got some really good expertise by the sounds of it, the background in VR and, and AR yeah. and so on. Do you think Do you think that's uh, in the fairly kind of uh, near future that that you'll be able to pivot to that? We hope to be able to do so. Uh, it depends what uh, what we are imagining. We hope to be 100% synthetic in a few years, like between five to 10 years. Okay. But we are already 100% synthetic data for a few use cases. So okay, it fine. depends actually what we, what we mean by 100% synthetic data. But for example, actually for data that we don't have, we can't acquire. Uh, for classes that are difficult or uh, we have we don't have enough time actually to do so and we don't need necessarily a high uh, precision or accuracy uh, needed for the use case for this specific object we already today can do so actually with fully synthetic data we also okay. do so uh, we also work with synthetic data for bias correction we do it actually okay. a bit uh, with uh, real data, but we're full synthetic actually in every release. Every uh, release have been actually re, uh, reimagined, the data set have been reimagined and addressed with synthetic data to be more dedicated and more stable for the use case of the smart city or the supply chain or the gathering uh, aspects. So we work with synthetic data nearly 100% for specific goals, but for the real 100%, it will take a few years. 
Sure. And I'm sure I'm sure in a few years with how things are progressing in AI that the goalposts will change and there'll be something new that you can Absolutely. do with synthetic data and, and how you can teach it. So it's probably going to be a never ending goal of even when you think you're there, it's actually probably only 99%. And there's still that yeah. 1% that's always... That's the beauty. <laughs> actually, yeah, absolutely, you're absolutely right because there's no way to have a model, an AI model that, that is 100% accurate. There's no way of... Because not even a human is 100% accurate, uh, right? Not even close. Uh, well, most of the time, we're way worse than AI models that are uh, specialized in specific use case. Uh, but yeah, even AI models actually will, for a few use cases, we will need the 99.999. Uh, and even this will be actually a goal important enough to invest and work on theoretical aspects technical aspects to to address those so yeah it's sure. it's a non-stopping goal i think until we switch parad paradigm until we sure. switch from ai to something else uh and then the the problem won't exist anymore but we do, we're not there yet we don't know which uh, theoretical paradigm will be used as the next stage in 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 computer science Sure. And I think it's a conversation for maybe a different day, but I remember having a conversation not long ago with someone who said um, they were a technical, they spend a lot of work trying to working with more commercial, less technical folk within their business. And the question was around um, kind of the, the emergence of so many different technologies in AI that can do really good things for many different reasons. A big challenge is actually understanding how far do you go with that? Because every business can utilize those technologies in a different way. Um, some technologies, albeit really powerful, might not be necessary. So I think it's a it's a really important topic for any business to think about. It's around actually what does their customer need and what are they trying to achieve. Like you said, when you when you think about shifting to 100% synthetic data, actually what does that mean? Because exactly. um, it depends if you're referring to specific use cases, specific customer demand. So I think it's an interesting topic and and one for the likes of you as a CTO that has that headache to think about yeah. is um, what, what technologies do we start to implement, right? Absolutely. Um, it's always good. One thing that just sprung to my mind as well is when it comes to, because essentially you're plug and play in many ways to your customers' existing video right. systems, is it limited in terms, I can imagine some of the video systems that you work with the, in terms of pixel quality or camera quality probably aren't the best, um, yeah. certainly not for, certainly not 4K. Um, that must be really challenging as well, because is it limited if the, if the image is really pixelated, maybe it's a much older system. Um, are you able to kind of clean, is your, is your software able to clean that image up to do its job? Or, or do you say to the customer, hey, you need to upgrade your, your camera? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Actually, it was a subject like yesterday we had a client like this. Really? Um, yeah, absolutely. Actually, yeah. computer vision is computer vision. You need vision to be compute. Uh, so if you don't have enough signal and you have more noise than signal, uh, the AI actually models won't be able to be as accurate or accurate at all. Uh, so sure. this is a problem. And for the correction aspect, it depends. There are a few things that we can and we are developing uh, algorithms to compensate. So everything regarding the, um, uh, the, the color aspect, the color switch from camera to camera, or the reduction of, uh, of noises, of things like that, uh, denoising, those actually we have pre-processing 
algorithms that we have worked and we are still working on because we can always create uh, more advanced algorithms to, to address those. But there are a few, uh, a few use cases actually where there's basically nothing to do. Uh, we have clients that have, have been using cameras that have been put uh, on the market like 20 years ago. Um, so those actually are, okay, either it works or there's nothing to do. The dynamic is too poor. Uh, there's not even um, a VGA uh, pixel resolution. So either the, the, the camera is, has a good angle that can do the use case or we need to change the camera. There's nothing to do. You, you can augment the camera or we might create um, actually, we can use generative AI actually to to highlight the resolution, but we might create a bias in the videos uh, that way. So it's not something that we want to go uh, at the moment. Uh, it's not the direction that we want to go toward at the moment. But uh, there are other use cases also that we can't work with. Basically, uh, some clients don't um, don't set up the focus of the cameras. Okay. And uh, yeah, so in that case, just set up the camera correctly, please. And we will have way more accuracy. Um, and yeah, so there are a few that we can address, but some quality problems actually um, make us stop because there's just not enough uh, signals on uh, noise ratio that is high enough for us to be able to have an accuracy that is usable. Sure, understood. So I think the message is, if you want to use AI or computer vision techniques in your imaging systems, make sure you've got good cameras. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't need that high of a resolution or that high quality. No, we need a much. baseline. So Just please, not a blob. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. So I think before we wrap up, I did I did want to take the opportunity to congratulate 22 first of all for your recent round of um funding series Thank a you. where you raised 22 million euros yeah which i think um is super impressive and i think especially for the kind of the paris region from a french scale-up startup whatever you want to call yourself point of view i think it's it's really good news for um the community and i'm sure that there's many other entrepreneurs startups that will take huge inspiration from from what you've leveraged as well and i think it says a lot about what you're on to right you've spent i think it's it's really easy to forget that actually you've been around since 2015 really yeah. from from proof of concept so it's taken many years to get to a point where actually you're really confident and ready to launch um, and invest globally in, in the product. So it's going to be really cool to kind of see this journey pan out and how that scaling works for you. Um, but let's let's talk a bit on that. So the funding came in in March this year, I believe. I know yeah, that from speaking with you, you're still going through the motions of kind of um, deciding where that investment needs to go and how to kind of structurally make the right decision, decisions with that as well. But where where is the priority when it comes to investment? Um, how... What's your vision in terms of 22's growth in the in the next say 12, 24 months, and uh, and what are your plans? Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Actually, we were delighted to announce the 22 million uh, fundraising. Uh, of course, it was set up. We raised a bit more actually, and we <laughs> we made it limited to, <laughs> to get the 22. 
Um, nice. But yeah, what, I did. I was going to ask you if that was a uh, if that's a, you got offered more, but you refused it because it didn't. It wasn't yeah. in line with your, uh, with your cultural values, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because actually, we, we aimed at twenty two. We had a bit more, and we we were okay. Let's make it work. Let's make the our number the number in our fundraising. Um, it's a good sign, actually. Hopefully, it would be a lucky sign. Um, but yeah, actually, it, it was a really good also signal to, as you said, the French AI market because uh, 22 is still a deep tech company. So the, the market is not mature. We're looking into it. We're looking into go-to markets. Uh, we're trying also to create the, uh, as, as you've seen with our business strategies and uh, floating licenses and all the business model we, uh, we, we provide. Actually, it has been a work in progress, and we're trying to find the best fit with the market to lock it completely. So all of this needs uh, funding, actually, and this is a really good sign that have been um, uh, exposed to the, the French market after the uh, the COVID um, epidemic and the uh, the Ukraine uh, crisis. Also, that have been a, a real block in funding, especially in France, uh, put a real stop on on fundings. Uh, but that was actually a really good sign. And there's a few other extremely good signs from other startups and scale-ups that have been um, uh, presenting their fundraising uh, for the last few months, uh, which is uh, super um, encouraging for uh, the AI market in, and AI startup in France. And uh, our goal is basically as a deep tech company that is looking to fit with the market is technology and sales those are the main market uh, the, the main um, the main objectives uh, and the goal is to reinforce the technical team and the product team of course um, we have multiple open positions starting uh, from uh, internships but we have um, full stack web developers that we are looking for we have devops we have, of course, AI engineers and uh, machine learning engineers positions, both in R&D and in engineering that we are looking for um, on multiple levels of expertise. We are also looking for uh, product managers, quality assessment, also positions that are open in the technical team, and also uh, positions that are uh, dedicated to the deployment aspect. So, uh, field technical t members that certify the partners and deploy our uh, our product and help to diagnose our product with our partners. We have a, a few positions uh, for those. Um, so all of this, the idea is to have about 15 to 20 people in the next 18 months uh, regarding the technical and product team. And nice. yeah, and the other. Um, big chunk of uh, positions is for the sales because 22 is already uh, available at the international. We have the sales uh, team in Spain. We have um, uh, an integrator in Switzerland, in Germany, a representative in Germany. We have also a salesperson in the Middle East. We have a scale-up uh, that, that is going up um, with our one of our integrators in the US at the moment, where okay. we are deploying uh, multiple uh, multiple actually uh, tests 
in the in in the next few uh, weeks and if everything goes correctly we will be deploying up to 400 fast foods in the next five years uh, wow, three okay. years in the next three years uh, so we have a lot of scale ups that uh, scale up uh, projects that are running and we are looking into the sales teams that will be representing 22 in the US uh, maybe in uh, in the UK uh, maybe in the, the the Middle East to reinforce the team that the, the person that is already there so we are thinking and creating this strategy um, as you said it's not already fully set uh, but it's work in progress and actually we are looking for every position possible because we're also uh, we're also actually um, open to opportunities if we have a good salesperson that have expertise in specific zone and it fits uh, with uh, with our interest actually we might be advancing our roadmap because we have the best person or the good uh, profile uh, to, to to address the uh, uh, the, the this ge geographic zone, and we also are we be reinforcing the French team mainly actually. Uh, and regarding the sales, we have maybe ten to fifteen people in the next eighteen to twenty four months. Just in the sales as well. Yeah. So there's there's potentially from what you've said, kind of twenty to thirty new hires, which is a solid. I think how many how many staff have you got now? Just shy of three hundred. Yeah. Okay, fine. So I think um, it's a huge percentage increase yeah. um, to for sure in terms of growth. And I think the message to anyone watching who certainly comes from the AI industry in terms of um, whether you're a computer vision engineer, machine learning engineer, as you said, web developer, software engineer, um, not just from the vision industry, the AI industry, I think all of those other disciplines are, are going to be really well needed. And, and I'm sure you can join the journey and, and learn, learn a thing or two. So We'll include the the link to the the career site for sure, and I think yeah. Um, again, to commercial folk that are watching, if you're a salesperson and and you want to be involved in in this really exciting journey with a with a business that's certainly scaling um, internationally now, you're not going to be known as the the French company for much longer. I think it's going to be the, so. the global twenty two, right? I so, hope so. Um, and uh, all the details actually are on our welcome to the jungle page, so you can search twenty two nice. group. And we'll add, as you said, actually in the in the link. Yeah, sure. I'll add everything. I'll add some links in terms of um, below, in terms of the career site, some more information about Twenty Two. Um, hopefully, we can get some YouTube clips of the uh, of the founders band. Of and course. We'll see if we can embarrass them a little. Although it sounds like it's really successful, so they'll probably be quite proud by that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right so i think as always a massive thank you to hell for, for thank joining you us and, thank you it was a real pleasure and, to be with you no honestly it's it's my pleasure and, and for everyone tuning in a thank you as well um please do like share comment and if you're someone who has any of the skills and experience that you feel to hell has mentioned and could be valuable to 22 not just in france but internationally i think the message is clear that um, they're growing. They're very open to to the individuals um, with different skill sets, different locations. So please do check their their career site, the Welcome to the Jungle. Um, but thanks again, Sahel. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank Cheers. you, everyone. Bye bye. Hey guys, thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us 
and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io, it's no underscore. We've also got a website which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks guys.